Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Caught up with Ira Thomas, President and CEO of Lakara Diamonds. She talks to us about what's going on with their mine in Botswana. They're putting together a package to pay for a CapEx uh, program to extend their life of mine by another 15 years. Um, we also look at the supply chain and how she's inserting herself and using their technology uh, to capture more revenue further downstream partnerships with uh, HB and also using a technology uh, at their company, Clara, uh, and also working with people like Louis Vuitton. So exciting times, uh, interesting uh, conversation. What are our thoughts and opinions on the conversation and the company itself, its plans? Uh, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com. Ira, how are you? I am very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Suffering from a head cold, but I'm, I'm, I'm powering through, Ira, like you've got to. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen you since October. Um, how have things been in uh, Vancouver? It feels like a lifetime ago, but uh, things are actually going very well here in Vancouver. And I did manage to get down to Botswana um, at the beginning of the year and spent about three months down there. So I, I have managed to do a little bit of traveling through the lockdown. That's amazing. Well, especially for Canada, you guys have been quite tight in terms of quarantining periods, etc. What's it like in Botswana, more interestingly? You know, I have to say, um, I mean, the situation down there is is not great, but it's very functional. They've got a good testing program that allows you to move around. And so, you know, the quarantine, um, you know, restrictions are pretty limited, actually. So as long as you're testing regularly, then then you can move and and, you know, our operations at the mine have remained um, full speed ahead. You know, we haven't had any interruptions and we've been more or less meeting our, our production uh, plans for the year. So that's obviously very positive. And are you, so if you, I can't quite remember, have you set up camps there or are people coming in from local, local and neighboring um, towns? No, we, we have um, a nearby village, which um, is where most of our employees reside. So it is a 25-minute kind of commute from the nearest community of Lethlukani. Right. Okay. And then you came back. Well, it's good. At least you've been to, been to uh, sites uh, recently. That's good. Um, well, look, we're going to get stuck into it in a second, but uh, do me a favor. If sure. you just give us a one-minute overview of the project for people new to the story, and I'll pick it up from there with some questions. Yeah, just as a reminder, I mean, Lucara um, is a mid-tier diamond producer. Our flagship asset is a 100% owned diamond mine situated in north central Botswana. And this mine is really renowned for its production of very large, high-value diamonds. Um, and we've recovered, you know, four of the world's uh, four out of ten of the world's largest, most valuable diamonds in recorded history. Okay, brilliant. Last time we spoke, we kind of got into lots of different topics, and I think I'm going to refer people to the link below where they can look at the, the backdrop, okay. the history, and the moving parts, so we don't have to cover some old ground there. You have been busy. You really have been busy. I can see that you've been doing a lot of heavy lifting, but um, again, the, diamonds are not something that a lot of people um, know much about. So if you don't mind, can you give us an update of what's been happening in the market since we last spoke? Is it moving? Or, you know, are are people getting interested again? Because your share price has moved, but I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, our share price has certainly moved. I, I think um, as we've de-risked a number of important growth initiatives that have been uh, in the works for some time now, and I'll get back to those in a moment. But you know, the market itself has shown a strong V-shaped recovery. You know, when we, we last got together, we were still experiencing a lot of volatility. There was a lot of pricing uncertainty. We weren't really sure what was going to happen with polished diamond demand in the latter part of 2020, moving into 2021. And what we've seen very encouragingly is that the market has rebounded nicely. Uh, in part, that's been helped along by uh, the Argyle Diamond Mine closing its doors last year, and it was a significant producer. They accounted for 10% of global production. Uh, so the supply and demand fundamentals of the business um, look much, much better. But I think it's also a testament to the fact that the industry had been working very hard, you know, going into 2020, uh, working to rebalance the supplies of, of polished and rough. 
And so, you know, we were in a much healthier position uh, going into 2020 only to be, you know, that recovery was then interrupted by the pandemic. Um, luckily, that was short lived. And, and we saw that demand uh, come soaring back and that demand continues strong today. So I think it's actually a great time to be looking at the space. I think um, all of the fundamentals of this business um, are, are looking good for the first time in probably close to five years. So I think it's a great time to be considering an investment in diamonds, uh, which in my mind is one of the only commodities that really hasn't had its day in the sun uh, in, in recent uh, history here. Okay, can you break it down for us? Because, you know, there's what industrial, wholesale, retail, most people, investors thinking retail, right? Diamond ring, earrings. That, that's the world that they understand, right? But there's a bit more to it. So can you just kind of describe the ecosystem for us? Because it'll be relevant later. Yeah, well, that, that is a great question. Um, when you think about the diamond pipeline, uh, most of the value in diamonds is really in, in gem diamonds that are used in, in diamond jewelry. That's really 99% of the value uh, within the value chain. Uh, but within that, you have the producers, and then you have the midstream, which is largely responsible for manufacturing the diamonds. And then you have the retail segments or the brands. And traditionally, the way the pipeline has worked is that each participant will really make its margins on the backs of another participant within the value chain. And one of the things that we've been working really hard on is transforming that you know, ancient paradigm, which really hasn't changed in over 100 years. And what we've recognized as a producer is that there's a lot of value to be derived by working with the other participants in the value chain. So, you know, we, we started uh, on this journey by launching um, Clara, which is our secure web-based digital marketplace for diamonds under 10 carats in size, uh, which really works to create that alignment between the producer and the manufacturer and the brand. And then we also, during the pandemic, used you know the challenge of selling rough in the in the in the middle of 2020 as an opportunity and to enter into a committed supply agreement with a company that has now gone on to become the largest manufacturer of polished diamonds in Europe, um, whereby uh, we were putting all of our diamonds into manufacturing, and together we were then selling those polished diamonds. And the manufacturer was earning a fee on the basis of that polished outcome, less the cost of, of polishing. So for the first time ever, we were creating true alignment between the producer and the manufacturer. They do well if we do well and vice versa. It it's no longer a competition between those two segments. We then added a third leg on the stool in 2020, and that was through two very unique collaboration agreements with Louis Vuitton, the world's largest leading luxury brand, who came in to partner with us on two of our exceptional diamonds, um, the largest diamond to come up out of Botswana, uh, which we refer to as Sewello, uh, which weighs in at 1,758 carats. And then the second diamond that we put into partnership with Louis Vuitton is a diamond uh, called Setunia that we recovered about a year ago which weighs about 549 carats. So really, you know, that's what we've been busy with, um, uh, you know, looking to kind of create a better opportunity to align the participants and, and increase demand for our product overall. Right, so you're working across the entire supply chain there. We'll start at the Correct. top and work our way down, okay? Keep, keep it nice and simple for folks, okay? So you, since we last spoke in October, you have, um, well, you've announced a number of significant finds, some pretty, pretty large uh, rocks. Uh, do you want to talk yes. us through those? Because, 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 why? Why I think it's interesting. Diamonds are interesting. Is there's not a kind of consistency of, well, there. Is, I guess there is a a steady flow of revenue from smaller uh, finds, but it's the it's the big rocks that actually create spikes. They're the they're the things that you, I guess you get excited about most. Yeah, I think I think it's sometimes one of the uh, misleading things about Lucara and Kuroi because so much value, seventy percent of our revenues comes from diamonds greater than ten point eight carats in size. There is this misunderstanding that you know we can't predict the recovery of these stones, and and you know statistically they're anomalous. We get them or we don't get them, and we don't really know when we're going to get them. 
that is true of our largest, you know, um, our, our, our rarest diamonds that we do occasionally recover. You know, we, we've recovered two diamonds, for example, in excess of 1,000 carats in size. However, our mind does consistently recover large diamonds that are recovered predictably and do contribute consistently to our revenue flow. So, um, uh, you know, that is one thing that we, we work hard to message, uh, particularly as we're going into an exciting uh, expansion project at Kuroi. We're looking to um, basically move underground, extending the mine life out for 15 years and one of the big value drivers there is, um, is the south lobe ore that we're mining, which is where we're getting all of our largest, highest value diamonds. So in, in putting together the economic model for that opportunity, we actually removed our largest, highest value diamonds from that economic model to be extra conservative. So, um, you know, this is a mine that does consistently recover large high value diamonds, and this is a regular contributor to our revenue. On occasion, we get um, an extraordinary find in excess of a thousand uh, carats, uh, which, you know, can be a game changer uh, in, the, in, in the period in which it's recovered in terms of revenues. And, you know, for an example, back in 2015, over a two day period, we recovered diamonds uh, that together, uh, you know, were worth over $150 million US over a two-day period, which was basically half of our revenue pro profile for the year. So we do get these occasional, you know, bounties that come along, uh, but we do not build those into our financial outlook. Um, when they come along, they go straight to the bottom line and they're, they're you know, just additional uh, upside. But perhaps, okay, the, in your PowerPoint, you, you referenced five of these, okay, over 550 carats up to, let's just say, uh, well, on here, 1758, right? Yes. They, they're, they're nice to have and they go straight to the bottom line and it's beautiful. Yeah. And you can't necessarily predict those, but in dollar terms, what have those five contributed towards your bottom line? Well, when we look at those, we've, you know, we've recovered 10 diamonds that have sold for in excess of $10 million throughout the eight-year history of the mine life. Um, and, and when you kind of look at the revenue from those very unusual diamonds, it's about $250 million of revenue um, over, you know, um, we're, we're, you know, several billion dollars worth of revenue that we've generated from, um, well, we're at $2.7 billion from the mine today. Um, so they're important for sure. Uh, they account for about 10 to 15 percent of the total revenue generated. But um, as I said, in our economic models, we pull those out. We know they're there and we know we're going to recover them. We just don't know exactly when. So it's difficult to model kind of re the, the recovery of those diamonds in our financial kind of analysis. OK, it's interesting. So 10 to 15 percent. It's not insignificant, but it's it, you're not dependent on it. Um, how, you, you talked earlier about the predictability of yes. what you see ahead of you. You are able to look ahead and say, and, and you know, estimate how much you're going to be able to pull out of the ground. I sort of recollect from our last conversation as well. You think the deeper you go, the the more perspective it is in terms of what you're going to be able to find too. So, how do you, how do you Definitely. how do you um, estimate what is coming out of the ground? How do you, do you give guidance to the market? Because it seems like quite a random thing to us, you know, because we don't understand how the ore body, uh, well, the Kimberlites work. So can you explain it? Yeah, listen, it's, um, it's, it's very predictable. We've been mining this ore body for eight years, first off, and we've been able to reconcile against our geological model all the way along. And so we are getting consistent diamond recoveries with the, the economic model that we've developed. We also spent a significant amount of money investing in the feasibility study to go underground. So we did, you know, more than $30 million of, of drilling, for example, uh, deep within the Kuroya ore body to understand the, the future mining opportunity. And what we learned through that process is that, um, in fact, you know, we have a geological unit that we refer to as the EMPKS, uh, which is a very, you know, a wordy acronym. Um, and this geological unit, which, which does currently daylight in the open pit, but it currently accounts only for about 15% of the total tons mined today. But as we mine deeper, that unit will dominate the future mine plan, and it accounts for almost 80% of the underground tons. And what's important about that 
is this is the geological unit that's give us, given us the Lissetti, it's given us the Suello, it's giving us all of our most important finds. Uh, it's higher grade and it has a coarser distribution. It is high, has a higher weight percentage of larger stones than any other geological unit within the ore body. And we understand that well because we've drilled it um, and it formed part of the, you know, 43101 compliant resource update that we that we published a couple of years ago. Uh, so we have a high degree of confidence in the resource. It has performed incredibly predictably in the eight years we've been mining it so far. And uh, we've got no reason to uh, believe that it won't continue to do so as we go forward. So if, if I look at some other types, other minerals or metals and stuff, you know, people talk about, you know, homogenous or, uh, or bodies. Diamonds, you're going down. Is it fairly consistent throughout this? You know, can you high grade if you wanted to? Can you go after specific and target specific areas because of what you know? Or is it just a case of it's a kind of consistent approach to the actual mining process and you, therefore you'll pull out what you what you pull out? Yeah, initially when we started the open pit at Karo, we were we were mining from three different lobes, essentially three different ore bodies within the pit. And they all had different diamond contents and, and you know, ultimately a, a different size frequency distribution. So one of the lobes had a preponderance of smaller diamonds. Uh, you know, one of the lobes was kind of in between. And then we have the south lobe, which is our main ore body, which is the coarsest distribution. This is where we're getting the preponderance of large diamonds are coming out of the south lobe. So we have been, you know, mining up until this point, a blend of all three. But as of this year, we're essentially now moving out of the center and north lobes entirely. And the rest of the open pit mine life will be focused on the south lobe. And, and that is, um, uh, you know, within the south lobe, there are two main geological units. The E that I spoke about before, we've got another unit that we refer to as the M. They are both important geological units, so we wouldn't preferentially mine one over the other. We get large diamonds out of both of them, so we will consistently mine down now through the remainder of the open pit, both of those geological units. And then as we go underground, we have made a deliberate decision to sink a shaft to take us right down to the deepest reaches of the ore body, down to 800 meters below the surface. And we will essentially mine this ore body from the base up because that is where the highest value portion of the ore body exists, that's the E, and that will allow us to pay back uh, approximately $514 million in capital in under three years. Right, okay, so okay. So you can, you can, you have got optionality in terms of how you approach it uh, and to maximize the returns, and obviously, um, you know, the yes. capex is not insignificant there. Um, can we look at this 15 year life uh, life of mine um, itself? So, what, in fact, can we talk about the study? What are the numbers from the study? What do they tell you that's going to happen over the next 15 years in terms of the, the cash flow? Because, you know, cash on cash is is kind of what investors are looking at. What, what's the return profile look like? Yeah, listen, and I, and I think what, there's a couple of things to highlight here. Um, you know, we made a deliberate decision at the end of 2019 to suspend our dividend. We paid out significant dividends in this company between 2015 and 2019 in excess of $270 million, which is much more than what we've invested in the, in the, you know, the operations to date. Uh, we made a deliberate decision to suspend the dividend in favor of investing that cash flow back into this underground opportunity. And in my view, this is the um, the most exciting uh, undeveloped uh, diamond uh, development opportunity in the world today. And what we you know, learned through that feasibility study, as, and as I said in our last interview, is that you know, we have more value ahead of us than behind us in Kuroi today. You know, this expansion will extend our mine life out to at least 2040. And we're looking at an additional $4 billion in revenues that will be generated from that expansion. And it's, it's providing us with some, you know, very nice uh, returns in terms of, uh, you know, NPVs. But I think what's really critical here is to understand that we've used very conservative domain pricing in all of our economic models. We knew uh, going into um, and through this COVID crisis and, and being able to attract 
um, the banks, you know, up until this point, Lucara has not actually raised any debt in this company. We have a working capital facility, but that's it. So we went into the um, pandemic with a very strong balance sheet. We had cash on hand, we had no debt, and we had access to good liquidity. And that was, I think, really critical. We wanted to make sure that the economic opportunity that we were bringing forward on the underground was sufficiently conservative that, you know, obviously we, we could meet the criteria of the banks. So we used a discount to 2019 pricing. We didn't include any price escalation. And my personal view is that diamonds are going to continue um, to, diamond prices will continue to improve over the next five years as we work to build out the, the, the underground plan, but we have not built in any upside there. And we removed those large exceptional diamonds that I spoke about earlier. So we did, you know, I, I think a very conservative um, financial model, which was obviously accepted by the banks because they've all gone through their credit committee approval. But I think the key thing here is that we are highly levered to an improving diamond price. So even under conservative economics, this is a very robust project. Um, but, you know, if you think about, if you have any kind of a positive view on where diamond prices can and will go, then this project um, looks uh, even better. But I don't have a view on where the diamond prices could go. And I think, you know, many people have kind of called it wrong over the past few years. You'd say, you know, it's, 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 hard, it's, it's hard to understand. So can, can we look at where the demand is coming from? The supply you've talked about, 10% come out, come out of the market. Brilliant, really helpful. But the demand yep. side of things, where is that coming from? Because I, I'm trying to understand sort of, you know, some of the behavioral economics of what do people do during lockdown? How do they behave? Do they Are they buying more jewelry? Are they buying less jewelry? If you're looking on the industrial side, is, you know, is the demand there? Or are we just talking once things get normalized again, the demand will be there? I mean, what was the last? No, I mean, it's, like? it's, it's actually incredible to see what's going on right now with diamond jewelry demand. Um, you, you know, we were concerned. And the last time we spoke, we, we were, you know, we were on the cusp of a recovery. We were starting to see strength, but we didn't know if this was a trend that would continue. And what we've seen now, very definitively, is that diamond jewelry demand, um, you know, continue to strengthen through the latter part of 2020 and continues very strong into 2021. And a lot of it, I think, stems from, you know, through the pandemic, obviously, people with disposable income having fewer things to spend it on. Luxury vacations, uh, obviously, were, were, were not happening. And people felt less inclined to invest in their wardrobes. And, and yet diamond jewelry was something that continued um, to attract uh, consumer interest. And I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact that people were, you know, you know, wanting to commemorate those important moments in one's life. And they wanted to, to do it in a way um, with, with investments and, and in, in jewelry and lasting pieces that will continue to get passed down from generation to generation um, that are and essentially timeless, you know, that aren't really necessarily, you know, trendy pieces that you're buying uh, for the day. So we, we saw a real, uh, I, I think, level of support for diamond jewelry uh, investment, and that has continued. And I think maybe, you know, just to, um, to flip that around a bit, if you, if you look at how diamond jewelry has generally performed against other luxury products, um, it, it's actually not a great story. Diamond jewelry has, has really lagged, um, you know, the consumption of other luxury products over the, over the last, you know, 15 years. And that's why you see companies like Louis Vuitton, the world's largest leading luxury brand, moving aggressively into the diamond space. Not only did they launch their first high jewelry line with uh, this collaboration agreement with Lucara on the Suello, they've since bought Tiffany, you know, at, at, on a, under a $12 billion transaction. And, and the reason is, is they believe that this is an underperforming segment of the luxury space where they can, you know, add a lot of value. And, you know, we've just seen that Tiffany is posted um, under, under LV's, you know, stewardship and leadership, their best quarter ever in the history of the company, um, the first quarter of 2021. So I think it's a very strong sort of signal that there is opportunity in the diamond jewelry space, but, you know, this is a business that is in need of modernization. 
you know, we have been. It is. But let, let's 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 get there in a second because I do want to talk about HB. I do want to talk about Clara and like, you know, sure. and, you, and you've given us a rundown of what LV's up to there. But I want to come back to that a little bit if I don't mind. It, just on the on the on the value creation thing, I said at the beginning, I'm not sure your share price has risen 50 percent since we last spoke, so that's good. I wasn't quite sure, quite sure why because I didn't I don't understand the market enough, and I wanted to know how much heavy lifting you've done. I want to know how much heavy lifting the market has done. It sounds like the market is getting there as it was when we spoke in October, but not really moving at a tremendous speed. You seem to have done quite a bit of the work for that. So are you trying to say to me that you think that the market will recover, that the forecasts look good and that will help you, but you've done yes. as much as you can at the moment, excluding Clara and HB and, and that further downstream stuff in terms of the mining production bit, have you done everything that you want to do? Yeah, listen, I think we're, you know, we've certainly gone a long way down the path. I think the key thing from for Lucara was really being able to demonstrate that we have a solid growth um, uh, avenue in front of us. And that being the expansion of the mine underground and, of course, um, progress on, on, on Clara itself. Those are really the two avenues for growth. Um, once we fully sanction the underground project, which is coming in the, in the next few weeks, as we finish the documentation on the debt facility um, and then take it to our board, I think that will be an important catalyst. And that, um, I think, will certainly help. Um, and yes, the diamond market has, has definitely been, been, been helpful. But, you know, we've, we've as an industry, it's been yeah, it's been a, a challenge over the last several years, and many of our peer group of companies have really struggled with, um, uh, you know, balance sheets that you know weak balance sheets, and 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 having to go through restructuring and and facing many other types of challenges through the pandemic that Lucara didn't face. But being such a small sector, we all get kind of painted with the same brush. So I think we've. Uh, had to work hard to differentiate ourselves from our from our peer group of companies, and you know work hard to to demonstrate that you know this underground project um, is a really valuable opportunity for the company going forward. Well, let's talk about the debt financing. So, where is it coming from? What's it costing you? Yeah. So, listen, we're in the process of of uh, finalizing all the documentation, so I can't give you the details on on um, um, exactly what it's costing us, but it is a traditional project financing uh, with five lending institutions. We've got three European banks and two African finance corps. Um, so, you know, it's it's a very good complement of lenders with with strong experience in mining and 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 good experience in Africa. And I think it's a real testament to the project and the economics of the project that we've been able to attract such a high caliber group of lenders. Uh, the facility is for $220 million. 50 million of that will replace our existing working cap facility that we have with uh, RMB. And the remainder then will be put towards the underground expansion. As a reminder, uh, the majority of the capex for the underground expansion is coming out of existing cash flows uh, at Kuroi as we continue to mine through the open pit over the next five years. And the 220 million that we're raising now is really to supplement that. Um, and you know, it's a five-year build. We 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 start uh, spending money in a, a very aggressive way in the latter part of 2021. And we expect to be delivering ore from underground uh, in 2026. Okay. And so given the predictability of the ore you've talked to us about, and you, you obviously let's assume this financing happens in a timely manner, what's that kind of cash profile start looking like to you? Because you, you want to pay that debt off as quickly as possible, one presumes. You've got the belt, you, is your, your election, is it? Or have you, have you set the time frame for repayment? Yeah, listen, there's a certain amount of flexibility built in there. And, you know, one of the things that we are very cognizant of with this ore body is that, you know, uh, one or two diamonds can change our our revenue outlook pretty dramatically. So, you know, that was important to us that we that we built in that kind of flexibility. Um, and so, you know, our intention is to um, hopefully start generating some free cash in excess of what will be required for the underground. And, and we'll uh, be, you know, looking to our lenders to 
um, uh, give us some flexibility on what we do with that in that eventuality. But right now, we're, we're simply focused on getting the money in the door and the project moving forward. And um, I think, you know, it's fair to say that we all recognize the potential of this ore body. Um, and, and I'm more hopeful that we can, uh, you know, pay back that capital sooner than later. Okay. So there's the, that's the production is the revenue component, is the, is the revenue generating component for you. You're looking to capture a lot more of the margin further downstream with these partnerships that you, you take. Obviously, we're yes. talking online uh, diamond selling effectively uh, with Clara. You've also got yes. HB um, is a partnership. You have to remind me what the JV partnership looks like. And then obviously yeah. getting into the retail with people like Louis Vuitton um, on these uh, collections. So where do you want to start? HB would probably make sense. Or do you want to start with Clara? Sure. I mean, I think HP was important for us. Um, you know, the pandemic became... I think a real catalyst of change in the way, you know, we don't, we've been thinking about this for a long time, but what happened in basically May of 2020 is that prices, particularly for our large high value diamonds came under tremendous pressure. So we made a deliberate decision not to sell into that weakness. And because we had these diamonds, they're sitting, sitting there now in inventory we felt it was an ideal time to explore the potential of actually a manufacturing partnership. And that's really what HB is all about. Normally, we would sell those diamonds to a manufacturer um, and, they, and, and that would be the end of it. Uh, in this situation, we are once again using technology, something that we love to do um, at, at Lucara. We're using state-of-the-art scanning and planning technology um, to create basically a, an image of each and every plus 10.8 carat diamond that comes out of the mine. With that image, we can then predict with a great deal of accuracy what the maximum polished value will be for each and every stone. And so what HB is then paying us is, is basically they're paying us for that predicted outcome, less a fee and the cost of polishing. And then what happens is once that diamond has actually been manufactured and sold, if it's actually done better, i.e. the market has improved and or once it's polished, it's actually um, you know, come out at a better quality than was initially predicted by the scanning then we get a top up payment uh, to reflect that upside. So, you know, once again, it's really about creating alignment. You know, HB is motivated to get the maximum price for each and every diamond because they're paid a fee based on that maximum achieved price. And, um, and, and so, you know, we're really working together. Um, you know, they are giving up the potential windfall that happens when they, when they buy a diamond that they didn't think would be that good and it turns out better. Um, but in exchange for that, they're getting consistent supply and, and a regular payment, um, and they're not taking any downside risk either. So it's, it's really a win-win for the participants. And then Clara works much the same way, although, you know, it's not so about- Can I just ask you on HB, because I, I really yeah. want to understand the moving yeah. parts properly. It's like with, with HB, um, I get that it's, a, well, I can see that it might be a win-win, but- what were you helping them do? Why would they agree to that? They're getting a consistent flow of, of larger diamonds. Great. Were they yeah. able to usurp other players in the market? But you said that they had um, done quite well. They've done quite well over the last year or so. Is that because of the relationship with you? Why did they buy into what you yeah. were proposing? Because well, listen, is a balance yeah, sheet no, thing. I mean, there's so, there's so many so many moving parts here, which I'm trying to understand. Yeah, no, HB was a was a group of uh, individuals working within the, the mid-tier part of the pipeline, um, the middle part of the pipeline for many, many years. So they're experienced diamond tears and polishers. And they also recognize that the way, you know, diamond sales um, happen today is, is very inefficient, it's inflexible. And the idea that the manufacturers are always competing against the producers, you know, they're motivated to pay the cheapest price possible. We're, we're motivated to get the, the, the most expensive price. But what we've seen is that when manufacturers, you know, are desperate to get diamonds and, and potentially overpay for diamonds, it, it, it ends up 
creating a lot of volatility because we, 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 we end up uh, you know, facing boom and bust cycles where you have businesses that don't survive. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we've seen the banks come back and say, you know what, I'm not lending to you anymore. So we, there's a real lack of liquidity in the, in the, in the middle part of the, the pipeline as well. So we kind of looked at all of this and said, look, nobody benefits from pricing volatility. How can we create an opportunity with more alignment? So the other piece that's really important to understand, back to your question about, you know, what are they getting out of this? The way we sell diamonds today, traditionally, whether it's Lucara or De Beers or, or any other participant on the produ- producer side, is that we invite our buyers to look at the diamonds and inspect them visually. They don't get to use technology or techniques. They're making a guess as to what they think they can get out of that diamond. They don't know for certainty. They, they, you know, if they're experienced and and they're and they're and they're good, they can get pretty close. But they're always taking a risk when they buy that rough diamond because they're not quite certain what they're going to get out of it. The first thing they do when they get it back to their polishing factory is they scan it. And they say, oh, yes, I can get a 10 carat D flawless or oopsie, I can only get a 9.8 carat D flawless, which, by the way, is 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 30 percent less revenue for me. So when they're bidding on those diamonds in the first instance, you know, at the mine site, they're always building in the fact that that, you know, they're going to be wrong some of the time. So what we're doing is saying, never mind that we're, we're going to take the guesswork out of this. Let's just scan them all up front and find out exactly what can be realized. You're gonna pay us a fair value on day one. And then if more upside is realized because you've done a good job in manufacturing these diamonds and you've eked out a bit more margin or the color gets upgraded when it's polished, then we get to participate in that too. So it, it, it's about removing the competition and, and creating a collaboration that works for everyone. Okay, they're giving up some of those bonanzas on the occasion when they get a diamond cheap and it sells for a lot more, but they're also giving up the risk of, of downside. Um, and, and that for us, uh, I think is, 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 w- was really when the shoe dropped and we sort of realized that, okay, that, you know, most producers will say, but there's always somebody that will come along and, and pay more. Yeah, you're right. But that someone is also going to be the business that's first to, you know, blow up when the markets get tough and, and suddenly we're going to be facing, you know, lower diamond prices, you know, next month. So I think we're all starting to, to realize that there is tremendous amount of value that can be unlocked and working together. And the other piece, which I haven't talked about at all today, but which is really critical to this whole conversation is that, you know, consumers today want to know where their diamonds are coming from. And the way we're selling diamonds, whether it be through HB or through Clara, provides complete assurance on diamond provenance. And, and that is also something that's no longer a, a nice to have. Like consumers today really want to know. And because of the technology that we're using, we're able to confidently uh, provide that assurance to them. That's fantastic. That's where it wanted to get at. So there's, a, there's an efficiency for both sides. There's a consistency for them. Yes. For them, because you can sell yes. anywhere, um, yes. and there's a balance sheet benefit to them in terms of they're more likely to get it right more of the time, and therefore the the net margins for them is probably going to be significant without the risk of a, a bust. So this exactly okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. I can see why they'd say. And they've got that. a financeable business now, right? Now right. they can go to the bank. They, Cheap, this is, this is my guaranteed margin. Yes. Cheaper money. Okay. No, um, it makes sense. It makes sense. So if I look at the people who aren't HB, how, how big of a universe is that? You know, can you sign up more people? I know you've got an exclusive with these guys, yes. but I don't know if I don't know if it's um, well. Actually, I don't know if it's an exclusive. Is it exclusive? It, it is exclusive. We've extended that arrangement for 24 months because we want more data points. I mean, we feel very confident that we're not selling our diamonds at a discount to the way we were selling them before. But what we really want to understand is what's the upside in this arrangement and, um, and does this make sense on a, on a longer term basis? So that's the information we're collecting. And I, I can tell you so far, it's going really well. I mean, we, we do see that there is um, a lot of upside that can be 
uh, unlocked when you spend the time using technology to, to work out what it is that you want to polish. But the other important piece to what HB is doing is they're working directly with the brands. So they're actually working to fulfill demand as opposed to, well, let's polish this and see what we can get for it. And, and that too is something that, believe it or not, has not been a, a real focal point for the supply chain. Most often, you know, the manufacturers manufacture what they're good at, and then they go out and look for a market for those goods. So we're, we're also turning that on its head and going directly to the brands and saying, what is it that you want? And in delivering what you want, we can also unlock value. It's efficient. Um, it's efficient again. You know, okay. I'm just, Why are I'm, we polishing rounds if you have demand for pairs right now? Right. Like, you, you know, so, so that's a, an important piece of this too. Okay. So I'm just trying to understand more where the efficiencies are coming and, you know, because people talk about how technology will solve our problems, but, and it needs to change, but how it changes and how much control you have of affecting that change is really interesting to me. Should we sort of yes. flip up to Clara? Because I can sort of see how we're sure. piecing together here. Where so there's some obviously some shared technology there. So what is what's Clara setting out to do with this online sales? Yeah, and, and I think you know this is a great kind of segue from our last conversation because a lot of people think, well, you know, yes, you've got to add technology, and that it's just simply about digitalizing existing sales process. And that is not what we're doing with HB or Clara. We really are completely transforming the sales process itself. We're using technology to do that, but it is not simply digitalizing you know, a process that already exists today. So with Clara, once again, we're taking the guesswork out of it. You know, in a traditional um, diamond transaction, you know, and the and, the, and the, the main players in this business that have been around for a long time would say to you, well, look, diamonds are an incredibly heterogeneous commodity. There's thousands of different price points. You know, how do you sell this heterogeneous product consistently for repeatable revenues? And, you know, the way that we've solved that problem over, over the last hundred years is to say, okay, you know, we're going to build up inventory and enough inventory that we can create broad classifications or buckets based on size, color, quality. And then we force our customers to buy an entire bucket or assortment of diamonds. Okay, so you can't go in as a buyer and say, I want those three. Well, if you want those three, you got to take the whole bucket. And so you take the bucket back to the polishing factory and then you work out which ones you can use, which ones you can't. And then a huge proportion of those go into the secondary market. And the prevailing wisdom in our business has always been, well, we have to sell this way because you've got to package up your less desirable diamonds with your more desirable diamonds if you're going to move them consistently. At Claro, we throw that paradigm on its head. We, we fundamentally do not believe that any longer. We know that each and every diamond gets consumed somewhere in the world. So our ambition and is, to, is to make sure that that diamond, even that seemingly unattractive diamond, uh, it has a home somewhere. So let's get it to its, its correct home in one step as opposed to 10 steps of having it discarded in each and every, every way until someone finds it and says, well, I can make a few cents off of that. So the whole premise behind Clara is to stop selling diamonds in buckets and to start selling diamonds individually, selling them to those manufacturers or jewelry houses that are best positioned to maximize its value. And we use technology once again to scan uh, as step one, and that is the exclusive arrangement we have with Serene Technologies out of Israel that provides the scanning and planning software. And by the way, 95% of manufacturers around the world use this scanning and planning software. So it's completely compatible with the systems that they have in their own factories. And then, you know, the real secret sauce in Clara, our technology is a matching algorithm where we say to every one of our buyers, like, forget buying rough. Tell us what it is that you want to polish. And they provide us with an exact blueprint of what it is that they're going to polish. You know, uh, we're going to polish a round diamond. It's going to have this width and this depth, and it's going to have a facet angle of this. And this is exactly what we want in its color and clarity. And we're willing to pay you, Clara, $1,000 a carat if you can find us that diamond. So Clara basically then uses this matching algorithm to 
sort through all of the rough diamond scans that are in inventory to find the optimal rough diamond to polish into that individual order that's just been placed by a manufacturer or a jewelry house. And, you know, it's about willing buyers, willing sellers. And, you know, we find the sellers set their price, the buyers set their the price they're willing to buy. We find the match. And to the extent that there's a differential between the bid and the ask, Clara takes it. And so that's the, the kind of the, the business model for, for Clara. Over time, the margins that we're enjoying on Clara, which are quite healthy right now, uh, we expect those to narrow because it's a volume story. It's all about getting more volume onto the platform. And, and in which case we're, we're very willing to accept a, a smaller, smaller margin on, on our side. Okay. So there's the technology component there. So, but there's also a manual component. So what's the, what's your cost base per carat, uh, using this, this algorithm and the system and the, and the manual process? It's extremely low. I mean, even, you know, our plan with Clara was to start it up using diamonds from Crowey. And really, it's diamonds between one and, and 10 carats in size, which is our sweet spot. We don't produce a lot of those at Kuroi, unfortunately. Um, so our goal has always been to start it with Kuroi diamonds and then open it up to other producers. And, you know, even with only our own diamonds, and we're up to, you know, I think we've transacted about $29 million worth of diamonds now on the platform. Uh, we are very close to break even. But, you know, so it's really about uh, you know the technology itself it, it, it exists it's about cloud computing power that we're that we're expending um, and you know a few uh, programmers kind of sitting in Vancouver so it's a very low cost um, business and it's really all about adoption and it's completely scalable so you know we expect in our business plan we've got a five-year ambition to get up to 10 percent of global market share which would be up to one and a half billion dollars worth of diamond transactions globally. And, you know, the pandemic slowed us down in some ways in, in, in terms of onboarding other third party suppliers. But where the pandemic really helped us is that if you think about traditional diamond sales, they all involve getting on a plane and going to visually inspect diamonds in person. And that couldn't happen. So there was a natural migration to Clara and we saw interest in the platform ramp up 178%. We've gone from 20 buyers to 83 buyers. We've now got an active wait list. So our limitation right now is supply. We need to get more rough supply onto the platform and we're actively uh, engaging with other producers. And we are you know, very optimistic that we will have some trials starting soon. Okay, so you've spent 29 million bucks. You've broken even. How, where's the We're, we're getting gone? close to breaking even. I mean, it's, 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 it, 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 it really is a low cost business. Well, 29 million uh, bucks is not nothing. So where, where, where's the money gone? Because you're getting... Is no, no, really... no. Sorry. $29 million in diamond transactions. So okay. when you think about... Right. That's, that's not to us, certainly. Um, you, you know, you're... our cost on that is, 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 a, is, a, is a couple million bucks is what I'm saying. We're basically paying a few salaries and then the cloud computing power to do this. So, you know, the cost is de minimis, certainly compared to our mining operations. But the cash flow potential from Clara when it ramps up, is is almost equivalent to what we can get out of the mine, but it's all about getting volume through the platform. Understood. So you, you threw the twenty nine figure out there. I thought that was yours. You're just saying that. Yeah, that's the no, that, that's, that's not that's your money. the transaction. <laughs> Total diamonds transacted. So that's right. Circuit two. You've got some programmers. You're using some other scanning technology. You've got your own algorithm. You where does it where does the scanning take place? Does it have to come to a central point to you, or could this happen anywhere? And then your algorithm kicks in. That is a great question. There are serene um, scanning and planning centers all over the world. Uh, we do uh, do the scanning and planning for our own diamonds in Botswana. That's where we've started it up. So we do have a Clara office there uh, where we have um, a number of galaxy, they're called galaxy machines. So we do scan and plan there. But essentially, you can scan these diamonds anywhere in the world. And yes, once it's uploaded to our server, the matching algorithm can use that information. And, you know, basically what we're doing with those scans is tagging them with an immutable record of where they've come from. So that begins the tracking of that diamond from wherever it exists in the world. Uh, we are offering to scan for um, uh, producers that are looking to trial the platform. But eventually, um, when we've onboarded an additional producer, it will make sense to do that scanning right at the mine site. 
Okay, with your diamonds or at my site with their diamonds, whoever whoever wants Correct. to use it. Yes. So there's, yeah. it comes back to the sufficiency thing because that's what intrigues me. You're trying to yes. regenerate and reorganize a kind of very antiquated supply chain. And efficiency exactly. is, is critical. Okay, so there are lots of these machines around the world. So you're just going to basically sell it under your algorithm, under license for people to use. You clip a coupon off of whatever they make. Is that the idea? Yeah, it's not really a license. It, you know, we will run the platform. It's done in a black box. It's not a bidding platform. Like we will find the match and we will facilitate, you know, trans, you know, the, the diamonds going from where they where they were matched to where they need to go. So that all happens within Clara. But okay. essentially, what we're saying is that by selling through Clara, you are going to, as a producer, get higher prices for your diamonds. And as a manufacturer, you are going to get, um, you know, the efficiency of buying only what you want. You don't have any unwanted inventory. Yeah. You are going to achieve higher margins. Your eBay. We figure okay. from our analysis that we can unlock 18 to 25% of value. Some of which goes to the manufacturer, some of which goes to the the producer, and the remainder uh, goes to Clara. So it's kind of eBay, but for diamonds. Yes, essentially, that's that's what it is. And you know, to my technology friends, when I first presented this idea, you know, they were so perplexed because they said, "Well, I don't really understand. Are this surely this is how you sell diamonds today?" And I explained that no, this doesn't exist. Um, you know, we, it, it is just a testament to, you know, how long we've gone without modernization. Okay, interesting. Okay, look, I think we've kind of run, run our way through the supply chain there, which is really sure. interesting. And you've talked about the market. I appreciate that. Um, what should we be looking out for from you over the, over, for the rest of this year? What's going to move the market for you? Well, listen, you know what? I, I think um, as the market continues, you know, Continued market strength and diamond pricing, I think, will 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 certainly start to shine a light on the sector. Again, I think we've 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 really come through a tough period, but the fundamental fundamentals of the business look very strong, and our outlook remains, um, you know, very optimistic. So I think for Lucara, you know, we're going to get the financing put to, put put down. You know, we'll complete the financing. We'll take the project through to full sanction. We'll get that underground spend ramped up in the latter part of the year. I think that will be a very important milestone for Lucara. Um, and, and I think, you know, watch out for Clara because we are looking to uh, onboard some third-party producers this year. And I think that will be a very important milestone for that platform. Um, we have always considered that we may at some point want to roll Clara out because we're, we're not sure we're ever going to get full value for a technology company within a mining company. Um, but we believe having a committed third party supply is an important catalyst for that. So that is something that we might consider as well as a future value opportunity. Uh, but really, it, it, it's about getting the underground going, getting Clara moving. And then, of course, we continue to keep our eye out on the horizon of other opportunities um, that might exist in, in M&A. Okay. Clara, you're director at Clara as well. Is that right? Yeah. Well, Clara is 100% owned by Lucara. So. Right. Okay. Understood. Brilliant. Ira, appreciate today. It's good to catch up with you. It's been far too long. Uh, good luck with the rest of this year. Stay in Great. touch, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I hope you're feeling better. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.